You're listening to Staying in the Game, a Plum Dragon Herbs podcast where we have conversations about mindset and techniques for staying at the top of your game. Plum Dragon Herbs provides herbs and D.Jow to support all types of martial arts training and wellness programs. Our podcast welcomes voices from all corners of the martial arts and health communities. We understand that there are many conflicting martial arts and health philosophies, and our podcast showcases the wide variety of opinions that exist. The views expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Plum Dragon Herbs, its staff, or partners. I'm your host, Janelle Leatherwood. Welcome to our show today. We're so excited to have with us a special guest, David Wei. He's a 16th generation lineage holder of Wudong Songfeng Pai and a global instructor of Wudong Taoist wellness arts and traditional Chinese acupressure massage. I would like to ask him to tell you a little bit more about his journey, including 11,000 hours of formal training in China. And um, so I'll just turn the time over to you now for a minute. Well, uh, thank you for having me as a guest. It's an honor to to jump online and, and share this space. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're so glad that you could come on the show today. Yeah, I was uh, warmly introduced by my Kung Fu cousin, my older Kung Fu cousin, Lindsay Wei. We both share the same name, but uh, no relation. Uh, However, we come from the same lineage, and it's funny because every person that I've met that has the exact same Wei surname, we all have a hangnail on our left pinky toe. That is great. I love Isn't that. that. Bizarre? I, saw, yeah. I just went to a Chinese restaurant the other day and the guy was like, Hey, is this, are you the same way? And I go, I am. Does that mean you have a left hangnail on your pinky toe? And he goes, what? How do you know? And I go, we are family. But Lindsay Way is special. She has it on both left and right side toe. A little inside information on my Kung Fu sister there. Sorry, sis. That's uh, so funny. Her, her daughter has it too. <laughs> and my That's son has it too. Really? Oh my goodness. That's funny. Well, tell us a little bit more about your um, experience and what led you to your journey originally in martial arts. Right on. Thank you so much. Um, Well, I grew up in the East Bay of California. It was a very dangerous area that I grew up in. And I was a gentle giant. I was scared to fight. Even though I'm big in stature, I'm soft in heart. And Uh so I got bullied a lot. I got pushed around a lot. And so I was naturally drawn to martial arts to protect myself and gain a sense of self-empowerment. You know, I did it with any other kid, like karate kid days. I'm not aging myself. I'm in my 40s now. Right. And I read that you were born to a single immigrant Chinese mother. And so you probably had maybe more, you know, interest in, you know, being a protector to yourself and to your mom as well. Uh, Ish. You know, uh, I was, uh, as you mentioned, uh, raised by a single mother, but she was either busy working or tired. You know, she had to do all she could to make ends meet. And so I actually spent a lot of my time uh, by myself and Mm -hmm. on the streets. And so, you know, I was very, very well attuned to violence and dangerous scenarios. And uh, it's funny because by the time I got to college, you know, my college friends, they want to go skydiving. They want to go big wave surfing. They want to do all these 
death-defying thing. I think bungee cord jumping was cool back in that era. And I was like, dude, just just try to go to school in the morning. That's thrill-seeking enough. Just yeah. ride the bus through the hood. That's dangerous enough. So I never took a liking to any of those thrill-seeking things just because I lived on adrenaline as a youth. I was mm-hmm. trying to survive. Did you like going to school? Uh, no. No, my school, specifically my high school in Richmond, was a prison, literally a prison. Uh, It was completely made of concrete with steel doors. There's not a single window in the entire facility. The only one window was from the teacher's lounge into the library. That's the only window in the entire school. Oh, that sounds awful. Uh, There was 20-foot barbed wire fences that contained the perimeter. There's only one entrance in and out. There were metal detectors at that entrance. There were random locker searches, random backpack searches, random classroom searches, random person searches, armed uh, police on duty on campus with canine dogs for sniffing dogs. And yet there were shootings regularly. There were loaded live guns on campus daily. That's crazy. So this is in, was this in Richmond, California or? Richmond, California. That's crazy. I never realized how dangerous it was there. Yeah. During the eighties and nineties, Richmond was top five most dangerous cities in the U S granted it's small. And you know, of course you got DC, you got Baltimore, you got Jersey and Chicago, but those are really big populations. Mm -hmm. So with regards to crime per capita, specifically violent crime per capita, Richmond was top five in the nation. Yeah. That's nuts. So, um, cause I was going to say, you know, for a lot of kids, whether their school poses a dangerous threat or not, you know, just getting to school because of the emotional and social pressures that they feel is, is also a huge challenge, especially in today's day and age. But um, let's go ahead and have you continue on in your story. Okay. So at what point um, did you consider the idea of heading to China? Like, were you um, much yeah. older or were you still in your teens when you started considering that? For sure. Yeah, there was a few more steps in between. So I started martial arts as a youth. Uh, when I got to college, I chose martial arts right? As a youth, I kind of just did it because it was there and it was a thing to do. And But as an adult, I actually chose my school, chose my teacher, chose my system. And that was like a, a, a coming of age of sorts for me. Uh, granted, it was still very martial and I pursued martial martial for at least a decade or so. And it wasn't until I was done with college and I went to go see a Shaolin monk performance. They were doing Mm -hmm. these traveling demonstrations. And of course, like any, you know, opening show, you have an opening act and, you know, people to warm up the crowd. And before the Shaolin monks came on, there was this local Taekwondo troupe that came on to demonstrate. And their demonstration was funny. It was just like typical Taekwondo where like a lot of ki eyes and haya haya and They'd break the board, break the ice, break the tile, break this, break that. And something clicked in my awareness. I realized everybody was breaking stuff. Nobody was fixing anything. Mm -hmm. And how impressive would it be to break the brick and then mend it right there on the spot? And then so 
it made sense to me that my training was incomplete. Like, sure, I could break arms and I could break limbs, but I had no way of setting them. And I realized that breaking is easy, building is hard. And so I completely shifted my perspective in the martial arts and I no longer looked at it as a fighting art. I looked at it more as a healing art. And that's what got me into like body mechanics, mobility training, pain management, uh, acupressure, twee na, massage therapy, bone setting, and the like. Mm-hmm. And it was really easy for me to see that the same technique martially is the exact same technique medicinally, right? If I want to manually stretch somebody or pull a limb, you know, if I do it hard and fast, it'll hurt you. But if I do it slow and soft, it'll be therapeutic. And wow. so it's, it's the exact same move. It's the only difference is my heart and mind. Mm-hmm. And so when that realization dawned on me, I was like, oh shit, it's more than martial. It's more than medical. If the difference is my heart and mind, maybe there's a spiritual too. And so that's when I realized there was a temple in China and I saved up a bunch of money to go and At first, I only went for three months, and I was heartbroken because it took me three years to save for three months. Uh And when I was done with that three months, I was devastated. I was like, how am I ever going to come back here and and, live this dream? Uh, But I was very fortunate to come across some money, and I made it back as soon as I could. I sold everything I owned. I got rid of all my material possessions. I dumped my girlfriend at the time. Uh-huh. And I went to be a monk. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's when you decided to take a deeper dive into your spiritual journey. Yeah. And what, like, what's um, one direction it took you maybe that you didn't expect? Mm, a direction it took me, um, again, because I'm big. Uh, there was an opportunity to do a fight, right? In China at the time, there was this really popular show where they were taking masters of classical systems and having them fight with the system, right? Mm -hmm. You know, sure, there were Tai Chi fighters, there were Shaolin fighters or whatever fighters, but you get them in the ring and it all looks like kickboxing. And so there was a show where they would showcase martial artists that could fight in such a way that it really clearly uh, displayed the style and the style characteristics. And so at Wudang Mountain, there is a form called Taiyi Wu Xingquan, which is uh, ultimate extreme five element of the universe fist. It's really a lofty name for Mm -hmm. a beautiful style. And because I'm big, they wanted me to be the champion. And I realized that it, it would be staged, you know, it would be a choreographed fight. It would be okay. a fake thing. And did that bother you or were you? Well, yeah. That bothered yeah. me on two mm-hmm. levels. Like one, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be authentic. I didn't want to win some staged thing. And two, uh, you know, I had done enough fighting in my day, like I was raised in violence. And so my master begged me, (laughs) which is bizarre. My master begged me to fight Uh and I refused. My grandmaster came to my bedroom 
and begged me to fight. And I turned them all down. And um, so it was interesting. I went there to cultivate my spirit and, you know, kind of violence still followed me. People wanted me to fight. And uh, it was a fight to say no. But you ultimately stuck to that decision. Oh, yeah, yeah. I stuck yeah. to my guns. Okay. Interesting. Did did you feel like they respected you for that ultimately? Not at first. Mm-hmm. Not at first because more than my master, more than my grandmaster, there's also uh, Chinese public broadcast and Beijing producers that came and there's big money and, you know, they really had their hearts set on me because uh, I'm, I'm half, I'm Hapa, half Chinese, half white, but I speak Chinese I have a Chinese appearance. Uh, I'm big. You know, they really had their heart set on me to, mm-hmm. to be this star. And when I said no, uh, not only was it a big deal in my lineage, but it was a big deal financially. And uh, they ended up going with someone else, and it just wasn't a successful program. <laughs> yeah. So I got in trouble for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that says a lot about your integrity to, you know, to your own beliefs and, and what you feel is right. So that's commendable. (laughs) Right on. Thank you. Yeah. So that's, um, that was an obstacle for you. Are there any other challenges that you encounter that maybe you didn't expect that taught you something about yourself? Um, uh, there is one instance that stands out with relates to my uh, clinical experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started massage training and acupressure, uh, I would always practice on my mom and my mom, she had chronic shoulder pain, like frozen shoulder, couldn't lift it, couldn't get herself dressed in the morning, couldn't uh, do her hair. Um, and it was just uh, really, really bad shoulder pain. And so I got into the medicine and I got into the work and I'd give her treatments every day and I'd have my peers come give her treatments. I had my teachers come give her treatments and no one could help my mom's shoulder. Wow. Um, you know, she's Chinese traditional, so she didn't do any surgeries or any uh, medications or anything. She just kind of deal dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so time would pass and I'd, go through many schools, many systems to no avail until I'm finally in China. And even when I was in China, I studied a bit of bone setting with my blind master and my mom came to visit me in China Mm -hmm. and she got treatment and wouldn't you know, the shoulder pain went away and we were so happy. We're like, mom, you got rid of your shoulder pain. Yay. And you know, praised my blind master. Like finally, after all these years, somebody was able to treat my mom and get rid of this pain. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't till her last day in China where she's getting ready to go back home. Wouldn't you know all the shoulder pain came right back. Oh, wow. And it would continue to stick with her until she eventually retired. Mm-hmm. And then the day she retired, the shoulder pain melted away. Hmm. And so this is kind of a roundabout story to say that no treatment, no medicine, no therapy, nothing could have fixed my mom's shoulder because it wasn't mechanical. Right. It was emotional. It was the stress of her job. That's interesting. She she didn't relate well with her superiors. 
And so when she was in China and the pain went away, it wasn't because my blind master treated her. It's because she didn't have to deal with the assholes at work. Mm -hmm. And then the last day of her trip to China, she's thinking about work again. Up oh, there goes the pain. And then the day she retires, the pain dissolves and hasn't come back since. And so that was my first insight to uh, healing, be a healing being a matter of the heart, right? Not a matter of the body. Yes, that's so fascinating. Yeah, and so now when I see people in the clinic and they come in for chronic neck or shoulder pain, I don't even ask how their pillow is or if the last time they turned to their mattress. I don't even ask about any of that shit. Mm -hmm. Like, who's getting on your nerves? Right? What what communication is is left unspoken? What what relationships are incomplete? What what burdens are you carrying on your shoulders? What keeps you up at night? Yeah, And I find that when people address those things, a lot of the pain dissolves. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Mm. So what are some things that you think people misunderstand about healing? I, I mean, I guess that that's probably one of them, that their pain could be related to their emotions. Are there any other things that you feel like they misunderstand? Yeah. Um, this is a really interesting conversation. Thank you for asking this question. Um, mm -hmm. I think, uh, of course, healing is a matter of the heart. Um, but beyond that, as a practitioner, uh, I don't think my massage, I don't think acupuncture, I don't think herbs, I don't think any of it does it. Mm -hmm. uh, if, I, if I'm to have any lasting impact on a patient or a client or a student, it's not going to be in the technique. It's going to be in the space that I hold. It's going to be in my bedside manner. Uh, I, I say that to say this, like people could have the absolute best doctor, best medicine, best everything. But if they don't trust the process or if their heart's not in it, or if they're depressed, the best of everything will amount to nothing. Right. And on the other hand, if you have someone who's ill or injured, and no doctor, no medicine, no resource. But if they have strong spirit, strong will, strong determination, purpose in life, I put my money on that person to get through and heal. Mm -hmm. And so when people come to me with their issues uh, and their pains, I don't even try to treat them with technique. I, I just try to get them to slow down. Yeah. And... The idea is slow down and take a look at like the big picture of what like slow the tempo. Mm -hmm. uh, consider the average person gets out of bed, hits their snooze bar and just you know rushes off to their day and they don't get a chance to slow down until the weekend. If that, and we keep this kind of frantic pace, granted lifestyles have changed since COVID. Uh, but prior, you know, 95% of ER visits were stress related lifestyle induced mm, that's really sobering yeah <laughs> aside from trauma aside from accidents aside from shit like that you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 95 percent people go to the er because their lifestyle because their tempo because of their habits because of stress yeah and so if someone takes the time to seek me out for healing and they take the time to book me for one hour session and let's say they're really good let's say they come every week one hour a week 
you got to think there's 24 hours in a day. There's 168 hours in a week. Do you really think my one hour of treatment is going to have any impact on the 168 hours of your poor choices, lifestyle, bad relationships, poor communication skills, you know, bad diet, whatever. Do you think my one hour is going to do Mm -hmm, anything? mm -hmm. I'm, I have no uh, ego around this. Like I know I'm not doing anything. If I'm going to have any lasting impact, it's not going to be in my technique. It's not going to be in my treatment. It's going to be in my capacity to affect their tempo. Okay. Right. Because if I turn and burn clients one after the other, one after the other, consider that's the exact same tempo that got these people sick in the first place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so instead I may book you for the hour, but, have a seat first. How's your day going? Let me pour you a cup of tea. Can you smell the tea? Can you taste the tea? Take a sip. Follow the heat down your throat. Can you follow it all the way down to your stomach? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Right? Just taking a moment to slow your roll, if you will, and using my Richmond vernacular, right? slow your roll, ease the tempo a little bit, and the blood pressure goes down. The breath becomes deeper. The tension in the neck and shoulder relaxes. Nothing has happened outside of taking a sip of tea. Right, right. And medicine is already happening. Healing is already happening. Not by Mm -hmm. virtue of my technique, but by virtue of the impact of tempo. Right. I really like that because I've been kind of studying about that a little bit in regards to just like impulses that we might have to you know, grab a piece of candy or, you know, just like anything that's like a quick dopamine fix. And like, I feel like the antidote to that is to slow down and to really figure out, do I really want this? Or, you know, what, what are the reasons why I'm making this choice in my life? You know, and, and when you slow things way down, you're going to, your choices are going to be so much more purposeful. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, when you are meeting with somebody, um, what is like one piece of advice that you might give to somebody who is seeking healing? Um, (laughs) Well, when people seek medicine and seek healing, um, I will often let them speak their story and, and share their symptoms and, you know, their, their uh, medical history and whatnot. Uh, and then I'll often switch gears and ask them what's working in their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, my teacher would say that uh, medicine is a conversation for sick people. Medicine is a short conversation for sick people the pursuit of healing, the pursuit of medicine is a short pursuit in that if you go to fix something, there will always be more and more and more to fix. Kind of like the classic cars that you you fix the carburetor, then you got to fix the brakes, then you got to fix the cooling, you got to fix it. You know, as soon as one thing goes, it all just goes and it's a constant process of fixing and maintaining. And so our bodies are kind of the same way. You know, you fix one thing, there's just always going to be another thing to fix because it's the nature of our bodies to age, deteriorate, and pass. And so if we're in the conversation of medicine, that is a short conversation for sick people. Mm -hmm. So my teacher would then say, forget about the medicine, forget about the healing. 
let's instead have a conversation about celebration. That's so great. In so you focus way. on what's working well. Yeah. Focus yeah. on what's right instead mm-hmm. of dwelling on what's wrong. And in the same way, I think, you know, hippies will say where your energy or where your mind goes, the energy flows or, you know, this kind of new age uh, cliches. Uh, but there's a, a truth to it in that if I put my energy to fixing things, there will always be more and more to fix. Mm-hmm. But if I put my energy on celebrating things, there will always be more and more to celebrate. And in that regard, you know, happiness and healing and, you know, awakening or spiritual, whatever, doesn't have to be some lofty goal at the end of a long road. If we step into celebration, you know, heaven can be right here right now. Yeah. And so, if I were to give any type of insight to my clients, uh, I'll often have them do gratitude lists and write about things they're passionate about. Ask them when the last time they sang in the shower, when was the last time they danced in the kitchen, uh, when was the last time they were creative, wrote a poem, drew something, painted something, sculpted something. Uh, just really getting people into the zone of celebration mm-hmm. and it, it can be amazing what comes from that space in terms of healing and transformation. That is a, totally amazing. I love that so much. And like, could you even pick one maybe personality trait or strength that someone needs to be successful? Joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joy. My teacher would said, if you can, my teacher said, if you can smile, you can heal. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties all the way back into, you know, healing happens in the heart. Uh, yeah. Having a sense of joy. Another one is having a sense of purpose, like a, a why. Yeah. Uh, I find that people that come to see me, I have back pain. I have knee pain. They just want to fix the pain. Right. But then I'll see a client. They have these pains, but I need to be there for my son. I need to take care of my aging father. I need to be there for my community. When there's something bigger than them at stake, uh, if there's purpose, uh, I find that they heal faster. Whereas mm-hmm. someone says, oh, yeah, there's knee pain. I have a bad knee. I've had this bad knee for 20 years. You know, it's, Okay, well, then once your knee's better, then what? Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'll go for a walk. I don't know. <laughs> like, whereas if you ask, you know, what are you up to in life? And, oh, I'm taking care of this or I'm moving this forward. If there's something bigger than themselves, I find that those are the ones that have tremendous turnarounds. Yeah. So would, would you say that there's anything in the way that you, I'm going to use the word treat people in your practice that other maybe comrades don't agree with you about? Yeah, because I don't treat people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeffrey Yuen, he, he's a famous, famous master uh, based out in the East Coast. And uh, he said something really profound that I've kind of adopted and put my own spin on. He would talk about the standard doctor is someone that does protocols, Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have headache, take two aspirin. You have back pain, you know, do that. You know it's a very protocol, uh, do this for that type approach to medicine. Uh, hit or miss. Yeah. 
hit or miss because five people could have headaches, but this person can have dehydration. The other person staring at the screen too long. The other person got hit in the head with something. You know, so everybody has different headaches. So you can't just give everybody aspirin, right? Mm -hmm. So protocols are limited, hit or miss. The next step up would then be a healer. The distinction between a doctor and a healer. Uh, the healer is someone who can take the protocol and then tailor it to the condition, right? So again, with that analogy, a headache, I'm actually figuring out why you have a headache. And so, oh, if it's dehydration, drink water. If it's staring at the screen too long, uh, go look at nature and go stare off into the horizon. You know, if it's because you got hit in the head, well, <laughs> we can address that too, right? So yeah, actually tailoring the treatment to the condition would be the distinction of doctor and healer. But then the next step from that would be like a shaman or a Taoist doctor. And mm -hmm. a shaman or Taoist doctor does nothing. Right? Uh, almost like I, I mentioned before, just, just change the tempo. Uh, but really no technique, no treatment. And uh, I, I don't want to hear your story. You know, I talked about I'll hear your story, but I want to change the conversation to one of celebration than one of victimhood or pain or suffering uh, because by constantly retelling your story, you're also reinforcing your story and, and reinforcing that reality. And so when people come, I try not to do very much intake. I certainly don't try to treat them. Uh, I just practice Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. And as a body worker, all my moves I mentioned earlier, they're Tai Chi moves. If I did this same move hard and fast, it would hurt you. But because I'm doing it slow like Tai Chi, it, it feels good. However, uh, I'm not treating you. I'm just doing Tai Chi. You just happen to be in my way. Hmm. And it just hmm. happens to feel good. You know, if, if I could put it this way, uh, there's a story um, called Chronicles of Tao by Denming Tao and uh the main character meets a crane master and is fighting with the crane master and the crane master is just demolishing this opponent. And, you know, in the end he's looking for insight. He's like, crane master, why are you so good? And he's like, I'm not fighting you. I'm too busy looking good. <laughs> I'm just posing. You're getting in the way of my pose. That's your fault. You know, mm -hmm. I just brush my hair back. I'm not trying to elbow you in your face. I'm just brushing my hair back. I'm too busy looking good than to deal with you. And so it, it kind of in the same way, I'm not fighting my opponent. I'm not treating my patient. I'm just doing a Tai Chi move. And you just happen to be in my way. And it just happens to feel good for you. So you just happen to pay me for my time. But I'm going to be practicing Tai Chi whether you're here or not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not treating you. I'm not invested in your story. I'm just training and you just happen to be in my space. And it's by virtue of that shared space that the magic happens. Mm -hmm. Did I over explain that? Did that land? No, I, I don't think you over explained that. I'm wondering how people can carry that on when they leave your office. Yeah. Well, that's up to the individual mm -hmm. has, however, with, healers, right? I also teach at the Chinese medicine schools here. And maybe you have this experience yourself or you know, other people that are in the healing arts, my wife, especially, oh my goodness, 
she treats somebody for knee pain, she'll come home with knee pain. Oh, she treats somebody for back pain, she comes home with back pain. It's mm-hmm. almost as if the empathy that makes you such a good healer, it's also a fault because it takes on the pain of your clients. Do you have this experience? It's very common. That's interesting. And so again, I'm not invested in you. If I can be an impact of your sickness, well, why can't you be an impact of my practice? Mm-hmm. And so with regards to what my clients take away, well, they're going to take away the exact experience that I get from training. Right. As opposed to what I take away with at the end of a shift, I don't want to take your pain. I don't want to take your suffering with me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'd much rather, if we're at impact of each other, I would much rather celebrate wellness and create a space of wellness. So you come to my space of wellness and leave with a space of wellness. Yeah. So let's see. I want to give some takeaways to people who um, are trying to understand like how to practice what you practice. Like, can you give me an idea of maybe like what your morning routine looks like or your own personal health regimen? Yeah. Well, currently I wake up to my son cooing and kick me in the face. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very rewarding joy. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'll, Nowadays, my practice is really simple. I like to go for a walk in the morning. I like to drink tea. I do gentle mobility, self-movement, self-massage. Uh, I meditate. Um, I hold space for guests. Uh, my intensity has certainly died down since I left the temple. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really just kind of honed in on, on really simple practices uh, gentle mobility, gentle range of motion. I sum it down into three M's. And this is actually what I prescribe as protocol to my patients. Uh, it's MMM, uh, move, massage, meditate. And so I'll move a little bit, I'll massage it a little bit, and then I'll take a moment to enjoy the feeling. Mm-hmm. And then like any good shampoo, lather, rinse, repeat, right? And again and again. <laughs> And I take the time to go through my entire body, waist, hip, knee, ankle, toe, neck, shoulder, elbow, wrist, finger. If I can move it, I move it. After I move it, I polish it and pat it. After I polish it and pat it, I enjoy it. And then I move on and move on. Very, very simple practice. And it's a protocol that I saw my teacher in the temple apply. Uh, You figure people come from all walks of life with all hosts of issues and, and pains They come see the great master on the top of the mountain, like Sifu, Sifu, come fix me. And person after person, time and time, I see my teacher use the exact same protocol. Move Mm -hmm. a little bit, massage a little bit, rest a little bit. Move, massage, meditate, repeat, repeat, repeat. If there's any pain, if there's any limitation, if there's any struggle, go a little bit smaller, go a little bit softer, go a little bit smoother, uh, and it'll be safer, slower, softer, smaller, smoother, safer. Yeah. Would you say that there's any like training hack that you implement in your life or that you would share with others or is, or does that just not mesh with you? Like, no, there's no like little mm-hmm. quick fix or anything I, I implement. Um, clinically, I do have a bunch of those little hacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if, I'd be able to speak to them uh, verbally. I could absolutely demonstrate them perhaps at another time when we have video on. Mm -hmm. 
but um, I absolutely have treatment hacks or parlor tricks that mm-hmm. can give people a quote unquote instant result. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're often fleeting, you know, yeah. if you get it fast, you lose it fast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, I was at monk or lived in a, a monastic Academy for five years. And so we didn't believe in kind of intensities and boot camps and, you know, weekend warriors. Like we did the exact same thing every single day. <laughs> two hours before breakfast, three hours before lunch, three hours before dinner, another two hours at night, easily 10, some 10, 12 hours a day when most people don't even get three hours in a week. Yeah. And so if there's any hack, it's get the repetitions in, mm-hmm. right? Three yeah. to five repetitions will move the blood. Three to 5,000 repetitions will build a habit. 30 to 50,000 repetitions will make it fluent uh, and three to 300 to 500,000 repetitions will give you ownership. And so uh, I would say if, if you want the results, you got to do the work. Do it again and again. Yeah. And yeah. So um, I want to ask you, um, changing topics a little bit, like if you, you've mentioned like some of the people in general who've been important in your life, who would you say has been like your most important mentor? I think we maybe touched on that a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, right now, currently, um, my most important mentor would be my son. Mm. Uh, he's really touched my life and uh, given me uh, a new depth of love and uh, f- hope you know, uh, he's really broadened my emotional space. And uh, I didn't know that I could love like this. I didn't yeah. know that I could wake up so excited to Aww. see someone and have someone so excited to see me back. Yeah. And, you know, to tie this back to my roots growing up in Richmond, you know, all by myself on the street, you know, my dad was too short and Snoop Dogg and E40 and, you know, being married, much less having children is the furthest thing from these rappers and musicians. You know, I was influenced by that culture. And, and so I never thought of being a father. I never thought of being a husband. It never was attractive to me as a youth. Mm -hmm. And yet now that I'm of age and, I've kind of matured and stepped into these roles. Oh my God, what a joy. How, how ignorant I was, you know, how stupid I was to, to neglect myself or, you know, shy away from such a rich human experience of, of, you know, partnership and and parenting. Yeah. That's amazing that you've had such a journey that's brought you to where you are now. And as a mother of four of my own, I can, yeah, I attest to the same thing that my kids are my teacher right now, you know, for sure. And they've definitely broadened my view on life and compassion for others and everything. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's teaching me how to breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, I see him take full belly breaths. 
Uh, he's teaching me to be coordinated. I'll see him reach with one hand, but his opposite foot also reaches too. So he has like this harmony of heaven and earth, you know, uh-huh. body, lower body connection. When he breastfeeds, uh-huh. uh, his entire body suckles. You know, it's not Aww. just his mouth that pumps, mm-hmm. like his fingers and his toes yeah. also go too. And so it's his entire body is you know, integrated and mm-hmm. connected in, into this present, uh, um, this present activity that he's, he's doing. It's really fascinating to observe and complete surrender, complete trust. Like when I pick him up, he goes completely limp and he'll just go wherever I take him. And yeah. You know, the level of trust and the level of surrender and, uh, I'm vulnerability. Like I, I'm learning so much from observing my son grow. Mm-hmm. That is so true. It's amazing. Like just to be present and in the moment, like we can definitely learn that from little children. How, how old is your son? Seven months. Oh, that is the best stage. <laughs> um, Last note, speaking of presence that you brought mm-hmm. up, He's challenging me to be present mm-hmm. sometimes it's all too easy to just pick up my phone and, and scroll away at some shit. Right. But then he'll get fussy because he wants attention. And it's like, oh yeah, let me spend more time with you and let me put down this. Right. And I mean, people might think children aren't teaching you to slow down. They're teaching you to speed up, but no, it's the opposite. Like you have to slow down your life and, and, you know, realize you have to plan for the unexpected for sure when it comes to kids. And that involves, I think, slowing down and being willing to um, leave space for people and time and, you know, relationships. Oh yeah. It definitely has us take inventory of our lifestyle choices, Mm -hmm. our habits, um, you know, slowing down to like, we can't rush the baby to sleep. Yes. Slow down and rock. And, you know, your tempo is what's going to influence the child. And so absolutely the need to slow down and reassess and prioritize all of that. That's, that's so true. Um, Okay. So I'm going to ask you another question. If you could meet with any person past or present, who would you choose? Wow. Um, I would, I guess I would want to meet, you know, ask me again tomorrow, I'll probably think of a new person, but mm-hmm. uh, in this moment, first name that comes to my mind would likely be uh, Zhang San Feng, which is my great, 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 great grandma. Oh. This martial lineage. Like, okay. Uh, you did really good pronouncing the name earlier, San Feng. Oh, good. Good job, yeah. <laughs> So Zhang Senfeng is our you know, the patriarch of our lineage, and uh, he's often attributed to being the uh, creator of Tai Chi. And so, uh, I wouldn't mind meeting him and and kind of seeing if he approves of the direction that we're taking his lineage. You know, kind of mm-hmm. give his blessing to know if we're doing right by him. Yeah. 
Well, tell me a little bit about the direction you're going with this lineage. My lineage is interesting because uh, during Cultural Revolution, uh, we were nearly wiped out. And, you know, not just my specific lineage, but just any martial master during that age of the Cultural Revolution and the Chinese Civil War. Mm-hmm. It was a tough, tough time. Um you know, communism where everybody gets treated equally and everybody gets the same. It sounds great in concept, but in application, there's usually a heavy hand that needs to come down to make sure everyone's equal and everyone's even. And that's rarely pleasant. And so with regards to the Chinese cultural revolution, sure, everyone has to be the same, but that means anybody that's different needs to be re-educated, put into institutions, uh, killed, run off, or silenced. And so, you know, if you were a farmer that could grow a special rutabaga, if you were, you know, if you wore fancy glasses, if you were educated past a certain degree, you were special and mm-hmm. you need to be leveled out. And wow. So mm-hmm. It was a scary, scary time. And so uh, nearly all of China's heritage was obliterated during that time. And, um, and we're talking about the period of like 1966 for a decade ish. Like, yeah. you know, cause you also have the Japanese invasion then you have mm-hmm. the Civil war, then you have the cultural revolution. So it's like a big, it's a big chunk of time mm-hmm. that all of this took place. And, and Mao was thorough. <laughs> he was thorough every valley every mountain everything in between if you were different you got leveled and so after cultural revolution after the dust cleared um they did a cultural revival of sorts and wushu became popular and jet Li released that movie shaolin temple and you know people started practicing in the parks again and there was a, a revival of sorts mm-hmm. and so my grandmaster zong yun long caught wind of that and he wanted to learn wudong martial arts it was in his neighborhood he's local to the area so he went to the temple i want to learn kung fu but no masters were there wow mm-hmm. and so he just stood outside the temple this is the way that i understand the story uh, he just stood outside the temple doing standing meditation for five years waiting And uh, eventually he caught wind of some monk that was a hermit up in the mountainside. And so he went to go find that monk. And then from that one master, he got pointed to another. And then he went on this wild goose chase just all over China, all over Southeast Asia, Singapore, Malaysia, Taiwan, gathering the lost arts. And he wasn't alone. He had a, he had, contemporaries that were doing it with him uh but he was able to revive wudang martial arts now granted a lot of the authentic wudang stuff was lost Mm -hmm. and so what he brought back was primarily taoist stuff Mm -hmm. so bagua uh, not traditionally from wudang but he brought it over xing yi not necessarily from wudang but he brought it over uh, and so a lot of these Taoist lineages that may not have been specific to Wudong were brought back to Wudong in, 
in an attempt to revive. So my grandmaster revived Sanfeng lineage. My teacher went and he systemized the material. So it's like, okay, if this is all the content, well, you need to structure it like this, progress into this, so you can grow into that. And he took all this revived uh, material and he put it into a structure. And so that was the contribution of my grandmaster. That was the contribution of my master. My generation, I earned that system to the best of my ability. And I didn't even get it all. Wudong is too big for any one person. And so I just focused on the wellness. My grandmaster revived, my master systemized. I went and got the healing. Now I bring it back. And so long-winded answer to your question of the direction I'm taking it. I want to see people apply it. And so if I have students, I want to see this wellness art applied to juvenile detention facilities. I want to see it applied in dialysis clinics. I want to see it applied in retirement homes. I want to see it applied in the corporate uh, structure. I want to see it. I want to see people take this material and use it for something. Mm -hmm. And so by and large, uh, kind of ties into my view in the clinic of having purpose, something bigger than you. Like I don't teach people just to teach them because it's cool. I teach them because they're up to something and they need a tool to further their work. Yeah. And so that's the direction I'm taking my lineage is I want people to take this treasure of Tai Chi and Qigong and take these principles and apply them to their families, apply them to their neighborhoods, apply them to their school districts, apply them to life. Uh huh. That is so good. And so if people who aren't as familiar with you want to get more information, where should they go? Uh, you can check out wudongwest.com. Mm-hmm. That'd be my website. I'm slowly building it out. I'm doing it all myself. Um, and so you know, bear with me <laughs> as yeah. work and, and things are dead, but mm-hmm. we're slowly growing that community up and we have online instruction. And, uh, the other thing is we're opening an Oakland wellness center. And so again, we're not having that model of turn and burn clients. It's, you know, come over, have tea, do some movement in the garden, sit in the library, get a treatment, have some porridge, you know, we'll have a, a saltwater pool and a sauna. And so it's it's no longer this treatment turn and burn clients. It's it's an excursion. It's a it's a lifestyle therapy where you go and you not only change your tempo, but you give it a chance to set so you can leave and maybe that tempo will carry on through your week. Mm-hmm. And this is how we intend to change lives by changing the pace. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great. Um, Hey, before we wrap up, um, in your practice, you know, you talked about some of what you do do and some of what you don't do. I was wondering how does Chinese medicine um, play into your practice? And I know we sent you some of oh, Tom yeah. Dragon products to try as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have two answers for this. Um, one, a TCM is bullshit. Uh, and that's a, it's a big lecture I have when I teach at Chinese medicine schools. It's not traditional. It's not Chinese. It's not medicine. 
But um, uh, specifically about these Plum Dragon products, I have used them in my clinic. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I like them. Okay. <laughs> uh, when I got them initially, you know, I had my reservations uh, just because, you know, I'm skeptical by nature. And so, you know, I got the product and I found that it was a bit watery, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I'm used to my, my uh, topicals being a little bit denser or heavier. And yet at the same time, when I started using it, I realized that the wateriness was actually a good thing mm -hmm. because it really helped the, the client uptake the medicine, right? I just had to barely rub it in and it just absorbs immediately. Right. And so, you know, what I Do you mean like it's more liquidy than like a serum? Is that what? Yeah. You know? The viscosity of it. You yeah. Know? I'm used to my salves and my topicals to have a little bit more density. Mm -hmm. Right. But then, well, I, but the, the main base is alcohol. And, and so I didn't want people to think it's like watered down, but you, yeah. you were talking about the thinness of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so when I've made them myself or if I had got them from other places, um, I prefer the tactile, uh, thickness, you know, I prefer a little bit more viscosity to my, to my topicals. However, in giving your product a shot, uh, it, I found it to be a little bit more watery. Uh, and I get that it's an alcohol. There's no water in it. Mm -hmm. But because it was lighter in that way, it really allowed the absorption to happen immediately. Yes. Whereas if I take a fluid that's a bit thicker, you know, I really got to work it into the skin. Mm -hmm. um, but with this, it, it absorbed immediately and gave instant result. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one thing. What I thought was a weakness actually turned out to be a strength. Okay. Um, Thank you for sharing and, that. <laughs> the other thing that I quite like about the product is uh, I'm a geek for the smell. Mm -hmm. right? And I just love the aroma of these ditta herbs. And yeah. You know, I love, I lived in the temple and so I loved the smell of herbs. I love the smell of herbs drying. Mm -hmm. And uh, so using that product just really brought all those aromatics to my practice. And uh, I love it. Well, good. I'm glad that we had a chance to get our products into your hands so you could try it. Yeah. Twist my arm. and <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so what do you mean, though, that you think TCM is BS? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, thank you for following up. This is a, a really, really fun conversation that was imparted to me uh, by one of my teachers, Liu Ming. Peace be upon him. He passed his fingers back. But uh, he would adamantly say there's no TCM. TCM is bullshit. And... I've kind of adopted that view and it's the very first lecture I give when I teach at Chinese medicine schools. Mm -hmm. And uh, first and foremost, the tea traditional, it's not traditional. It is protocol based medicine that is very allopathic symptom based in nature. Oh, you have headache. We'll press LI four. Oh, you have backache. We'll press bladder 32. It's like, it's very protocol. 
and it's less than a hundred years old. And so it is not traditional in the scope of a thousand thousands of years of history in China. A uh, hundred year old medicine practice is not traditional. So I see. Mm-hmm. It's not tea. The other thing is that it's not Chinese. Mm-hmm. China is no more China or Chinese people are no more Chinese than a native American is an Indian, right? Is it Germany or is it Dutchland, right? It mm-hmm. depends who you ask. And so a Chinese person will not relate to themselves as a Chinese person. They relate to themselves as a Zhongguoren, a middle kingdom person. Mm-hmm. So China then, Chinese then, it's a generic term. It's a generic hat. And north, south, east, west, every mountain, every valley, everything in between, dry land, marshland, you have different ethnic minorities, you have different dialects, you have different languages, you have different practices, different values, different norms. And so to generically call all those different people Chinese is a disservice to the diversity of the community. And so it's not traditional and it's not Chinese. The last thing is that it's not medicine. Right. Mm -hmm. And the conversation of medicine is what is medicine, right? Who needs medicine? How long do they need it? When is medicine complete? These are challenging questions for people. And everyone's going to give a different answer. Now, the way we practice medicine in our common era, idealistically, it may rub people wrong. But consider that the way medicine happens in our common era is that medicine is just there to get you back to work. Who needs medicine? You need medicine when you can't work. When is medicine complete? When you can get back to work. Medicine is just something to maintain a status quo of productivity. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with healing your wounds, curing your ailments, resolving your, your conflicts, or helping you reach your potential as a human. Right, And so it's not medicine. It's just something to help you get by. It's not something there to help you grow. So it's not traditional, it's not Chinese, and it's not medicine. TCM is bullshit. Mm, interesting point of view there. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I'm glad you had a chance to explain that as well. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you feel like I didn't ask that you wanted to talk about or that you didn't explain oh, no, enough? No, Janelle, this has been an absolute joy. I am oh, good. really uh, um, satisfied with the flow of this conversation. And I think we touched on some really amazing points and they all kind of dovetailed and, you know, called back on each other. And so I think we presented a really cohesive view to your listeners and uh, I want to appreciate you for having me on. Oh gosh. Thank you so much. And we're, yeah, I'm so excited that we could have you on the show. I'm grateful that Lindsay put us in touch and I will be sure to um, make sure our listeners know how to touch base with you. If there's any links that um, we can provide them to connect with you. Oh yeah. Great. So thank you for coming on our show and thanks for your time and we'll let you get back to your little one and your practice and all the things that you do in your life. Thank you. Bye. And thanks to all our listeners for joining us today. For show notes and more great tips, be sure to visit us at plumdragonherbs.com. And if you like this episode, we'd love for you to share and subscribe wherever you like to listen. 
If this episode has sparked more questions for you, we invite you to check out our new private forum with Josh Walker as our moderator, where you can get answers to some of your toughest questions on herbalism and martial arts. Click the banner at the top of our website page for more information. 